Let's uh, turn in our Bibles uh, this morning to Revelation chapter 17. We're in, uh, now moving into uh, the next couple of chapters of this last book of the Bible uh, that are going to be more details, uh, looking back to what we've already seen in chapter 16 uh, concerning Babylon. I titled this morning's message, The Fall of Religious Babylon. And it's, we're going to look at just the first six verses this morning. But most of us know that the Bible starts with the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And we also are now in the book of Revelation, which gives us the ending of all things, or at least the ending of the things of this world that we know it's going to come to an end. And so we could look at the Bible and we could say we have the book of Genesis and we have the book of Revelation. And they're the bookends, we might say, to the rest of the Bible. I like that. God has given us everything that we need to know in his creation. And even in the fall, in the first book of the Bible. And then he's given us all that we need to know concerning the things to come in the end of the age, in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. But we come to this 17th chapter, which concerns a particular uh, city by the name of Babylon, or the ancient name of Babel. And actually that ancient name Babel by Hebrew uh, definition means the uh, means confusion, because the languages were confused there in Babel, going back to Genesis chapter ten. But we can see that this word Babylon is used two hundred and fifty three times in your Bible. Six of those times are in the Book of Revelation. But what's important to note is that Babylon next to Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, is the most used place name in the Bible of any other city, Babylon. And so there's much to be said and much to be read concerning Babylon. We, um, we know that it was this area of Babylon is where God allowed the Babylonians to take the southern kingdom of Judah into captivity. You see, in a Jew's mind, Babylon meant everything evil. Babylon spoke of everything that was against God. And this area that was on the city anyway of Babylon that was located there on the Euphrates River that we read back in chapter 16 about its destruction. I believe that it's a city that is referred to actually throughout the book of Revelation as I shared last week a great city and I think great meaning that it is far reaching in its impact that it has had upon this world going all the way back to that first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. So Babylon is something that we want to take note of, and even how much is being said of it throughout the book of Revelation, even its demise, even its coming to an end, uh, is important for us to know as Christians. This city of Babylon, as we read last week, is going to be destroyed never to be raised up again. It's never going to come to life again. Babylon, actually, that name in the Greek actually means the gate of God or the gates of gods. And so when you even think of the, the term or the name Babylon, it has significance to those that were worshiping multiple gods and various demonic practices that went on 
in this area of Babylon. It was everything that was against God in that city and in that area. My interpretation of Babylon that we read about in Revelation here is one of a literal approach. I believe that it is going to be Babylon that is going to be literally rebuilt. Now, I don't have you the pictures today, but maybe some of you have gone on and looked. If you look up ancient Babylon on your computer, you can go and you can see that there are pictures of it today where Saddam Hussein, at one time Saddam Hussein uh, believed that he was uh, the reincarnation of King Nebuchadnezzar. And wrap your head around that. So here it is, Saddam Hussein says that he commissioned, in 1983, he commissioned that area of ancient Babylon to be rebuilt. So if you look at it today, there are structures. There is a main gate that has been built and structures that are there today. It's really sightseeing at the moment, but I do believe that it's very possible that literal Babylon during the tribulation period and maybe even before that is going to be rebuilt. Some have looked at Babylon in the book of Revelation as a place name in scripture and they've tried to spiritualize it. That we're simply talking about the spiritual wickedness of Babylon that existed. But this is what one commentator wrote in regards to the ancient city of Babylon. He says in the book of Revelation or his explanation of it, he says, what is the explanation for this reluctance to believe that John meant Babylon when he wrote Babylon? Even at the time that John was writing, Babylon was still a viable city with a substantial colony of Jews, and even the famous Babylonian Talmud originated in or near there about 500 years after the time of Christ. And there was a significant Christian church there as well. At the very least, it would be confusing to John's first century readers, as well as to later generations, For him to write so much about Babylon when he really meant Rome or some false church. And so there are those that make that interpretation. That we're speaking of Rome here. We're speaking of false church instead of a literal revived Babylon in the last days. John Wolvert, another commentator, uh, has written much on Bible prophecy. He wrote this, the best solution is to assign Babylon its literal significance of the city on the Euphrates by that name. Mentions of the Euphrates River at other points corroborate this, with which is the natural way to understand it. And that's his interpretation of it, and it's what I'm holding to in my own study. But last week, we finished chapter 16, which ended what we might say the end of the tribulation period. Remember, there's a seven-year tribulation period that's going to come upon this earth. Chapter 16, if we're going to look at the book of Revelation chronologically, we could say that chapter 16 really is the end. And maybe the final end is in chapter 19 when at the second coming of Jesus Christ, but in regards to the judgments, the three sets of judgments that are coming down, will come down upon this earth, the book of Revelation ends in chapter 16. So what about the rest of the chapters going forward? We're entering into chapter 17 this morning. We'll look at chapter 18 over the next few weeks. But these two chapters specifically deal with Babylon and we're going to get into their parenthetical chapters they're going to get into more of the details about religious Babylon which I believe is chapter 17 and chapter 18 
is going to speak more about the monetary and the political power of Babylon in the last days, but also the complete destruction of Babylon in chapter 18. And in um, looking ahead into chapter 19, verses 1, this is what we read. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. So I want you to, to get this picture that John is hearing and seeing. He hears this loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Let's all say it. Hallelujah. You're going to be saying that someday. I believe the voices that John is hearing are those that are in heaven that are seeing the destruction of Babylon in this day. And they're saying with loud voices, true and righteous are your judgments, God, as they see Babylon, really, if, we, if I could put it in my own words, going up in smoke, being completely brought to nothing never to be rebuilt again. It's going to be the end of all those things that have been opposed to God and who he is. In these two chapters, 17 and 18, we see that Babylon is going to consist of this religious system. It's going to also consist of a political system and also an economic system. That's really at the heart of Babylon. Religion, politics, and economics. And so we see that as we go through the book of Revelation. That these are the things that are going to affect and deceive the people of this earth. Those that have been left behind after the rapture. In we already read in chapter 14, verse 8, and also in chapter 16, verse 19, about the fall and the destruction of Babylon. We read in chapter 14, verse 8, uh, and another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations, this is why, because she, speaking about Babylon, has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon has fallen, has fallen. John saw that in the 14th chapter, looking forward to the time that we're speaking of now, the destruction of Babylon. In chapter 16, verse 19, last week we read, now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Those words should cause every one of us to say, wow, the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty coming down upon what God says he will judge. Now in this 17th chapter that we come to this morning, concerning the judgment of this great harlot, we read in verse 1, look at your Bibles, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. This great harlot 
that sits upon many waters. In other words, she rules over the many waters. And it says, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. And the inhabitants also of the earth, or the earth dwellers, or those that are left behind after the rapture of the church, were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. We're told that she sits on many waters. It tells us that the waters, in verse 15, it tells us who the waters are. The waters are the peoples, plural, multitudes, plural, nations and tongues. And so this false religious system that we're reading about here in this chapter It presides, and we could say it's presiding over the entire world at the time. In other words, it's going to be a global deception. Do you remember what Jesus said? The first thing that Jesus said to his disciples when he answered the question of when the end of the age will come. And the first thing that he says was, spoke and warned them about deception. Don't be deceived. Because there's going to be many false Christs and those that are going to come. And we've seen that even through the course of our lifetime. But it's going to increase these false Christs and even the coming of the Antichrist in the end. There are some who have made the interpretation that this section of scripture is referring to the Roman Catholic Church. And though I believe that the Catholic Church, it could have some part in the deception. I believe there's deception through it, even today. And even though there could be deception that could come through the Catholic Church in the end times, I don't believe that what we're talking about here is limited just to the Catholic Church, as some have made that interpretation. As a matter of fact, there's 1.2 billion Catholics in the world today. It's a portion of the world population, a big portion. But I believe that what we're seeing here of this false religion that is going to begin during the tribulation time, this one world religious system is going to be of a greater scale than just the Catholic Church. I believe that the greater picture is that this great harlot, this prostitute, we might say, is the personification or the perfect example, we might say, of spiritual fornication of spiritual idolatry that we read about all the way through the scriptures, even with the nation of Israel and all of their spiritual idolatry. It's going to come upon this world to deceive the world, this religion. And it's not anything new. You see, deception through religion has always sought to deceive man. But I want you to wrap your head around the thought of the church being removed. The Holy Spirit that lives in you and I. And the church being removed and then a world left to itself. To be led and governed by the God of this world. Who is going to indwell the Antichrist. The false prophet. And every part of the system that will be existing during that time. It's going to be even more so corrupted than what we see in our day now. It's going to be of a greater deception during that time. The words harlotry, prostitution, sexual immorality, spiritual fornication, spiritual idolatry. These are all terms and words that are describing this religious system that will be in place. And... There are a lot of religious systems in our world today, aren't there? Just think of all the world religions that are false. They don't worship the God whom we serve. 
They don't worship the God of the Bible. Lots of religious systems. But it appears, <clears throat> excuse me, that, <clears throat> that there's going to be this time <clears throat> during the tribulation period where there's going to be this one world religious system that is going to culminate itself to the point where the Antichrist is going to demand that he be worshipped as God. He's going to say even to the Jews who in the beginning are allowed to rebuild their temple, he's going to turn on them, <clears throat> excuse me, in the middle of the tribulation period and demand that they worship him as God. Arnold Frutenbaum, another Bible prophecy commentator, this is what he wrote. To prostitute something is to take that which has proper use and to turn it into an improper use. A prostitute takes sex which has a proper use and perverts it with an improper use, turning it into something illicit, causing fornication. In this case, the harlot represents religion, which has a proper use, but here has been prostituted for improper use. Rather than serving its rules, the false use of religion causes spiritual fornication. The word fornication is used both of physical unfaithfulness and also of spiritual unfaithfulness, as in Hosea 1-2, in Jeremiah 2-20, in Jeremiah 3-1-9, etc., many other places in Scripture. It is with this woman that the kings of the earth commit fornication, showing this to be a unity of religion, and get this, and state, bringing you, uh, religion and state together. Remember when we read the seven letters to the seven churches in the beginning of Revelation in chapter 2, and we read about the church at Thyatira? That's a period in church history where the church began to merge with politics, when the church began to merge with the state, and it brought corruptness within the church in that period of church history. You can see how the same thing will be, I believe, even during the tribulation period. But in verse 2, it tells us that the kings of the earth and the inhabitants of the earth also, that they're drawn into her harlotries. They both are made to drink of the wine of her fornication. Just like wine intoxicates people, these kings and those on the earth are going to be intoxicated with the false religion of this prostitute. You see, when the church is raptured at the beginning of the tribulation, it's going to open that gateway the gateway to this religious system is going to have nothing really hindering it. The Holy Spirit is going to be removed in the sense of the church. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent, but he is going to be removed in the sense of the church. But it's going to open this gateway for this false religious system to be able to move forward of which God must judge and will judge at the end of the tribulation period. It may be that the people left behind are going to be thrilled when they realize that you and I that know the Lord, these Christians, they're gone. They're finally gone. They're finally out of here. There are people today 
that don't know the Lord, that hate what you stand for, that'll be very happy when you're gone, when you're no longer here. And they're probably going to be thinking, and I'm just speculating, but now we can have our own church. Now we can do our own thing. Now there's no opposition. You see, the church has become the opposition to much of the ungodliness that we see in our world, the immorality that we see in our world today. You stand against that. And now they're gone. We saw in chapter 13 that during the tribulation period, this world is going to have this one world religious system. It's going to come to a culmination, really, by the middle of the tribulation period. A one world religious system that is, as I already said, demand that the Antichrist be worshipped as God. There's also going to be a one world government that's going to be in existence during the tribulation period, of which the Antichrist is going to be that political leader. He's going to rule, and he's going to draw in the kings and the nations to follow after him. There's going to be a revived Roman Empire, a confederation of ten nations during the tribulation period, all headed up by the Antichrist. It's going to be a one-world government, a political system that will be in our world. But we also know that there's going to be a one-world monetary system that is going to come into place during the tribulation period where people are going to be required to receive a mark that will identify their allegiance to the Antichrist. They're not going to be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast. So all of these systems that make up Babylon and mystery Babylon are going to be in play. And that's what we're looking at here in the 17th and 18th chapter of Revelation. The nation of Israel, we might say, is primed and ready for their Messiah. They're looking. They're looking for their Messiah to come that will allow them to rebuild their temple. And they're primed and they're ready for it. And it's going to come with great deception for the nation of Israel as he comes on the scene as one who has the answers. Maybe the one who allows them to rebuild their temple. He's going to be a global leader. He's going to be in their mind, the Jews' minds, the Messiah himself. He's the one we've been waiting for. Deception, Jesus says. Watch for the deception. The nations of the world are connecting now. I don't know how much you watch and follow things going on in your world uh, with nations and things going on about, but there is this new global order that is being coming into place. Just watch what's going on with China. Watch these different nations right now, what's going on with them. I believe that this new world order or this new global order as it's referred to. You want, if you want to go read about it, you can read for hours and hours and hours about the new coming world order. It's not anything hidden. It's everything that's out there. The think tanks, the political leaders, they sit around and they talk about these things. A global order. A revived Roman Empire to come. A one world monetary system. You want to look at that? Just look. Just recite. Just saw on the news yesterday that some bill came before our Congress uh, once again, where they're wanting to initiate this digital currency with the dollar, the U.S. dollar. They're wanting to bring in this new digital currency. That's not anything new to us. We're doing it all the time. Apple Pay, all these different things. All these things have to do with digital currency. 
And there's going to come a point where that is going to be the way in which this world must go. And it will go in that way. Just be watching. Go on and just key in about digital currency and see what's happening in the world today. There's going to come a point in which the Antichrist is going to demand that you partake of a mark on your right hand or forehead, not you and I that know the Lord, but those that are on this earth left behind, to take a mark lest they be able to buy nor sell any goods. So again, there's going to be this one world economic system that will be in place. The history of Babylon that, as I shared, that goes back to Genesis chapter 10, Noah's grandson Cush, he begot, begat Nimrod, and we're told that he began to be a mighty one on the earth. And the beginning of his kingdom was called Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, we read this about the Tower of Babel. They built a tower that would reach into the heavens. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And God saw their rebellion and he confused their language and were told that they were scattered over the face of the earth. You see, Babylon itself, going all the way back to the first book of the Bible, was entrenched, deeply entrenched, in paganism and idolatry. That was all part of Babylon in that day. And it's really never stopped. Pastor and commentator David Guzik, he wrote this concerning Babylon. He says, Babylon came into being long before Christianity. But in satanic imitation, it in anticipated the coming true Messiah. According to religious history and legend, the Babylonian religion was founded by the wife of Nimrod, a great-grandson of Noah, named Samarimus. She was a high priestess of idol worship, and she gave birth to a son who she claimed was conceived miraculously. The name, her son's name was Tammuz and was considered a savior. This goes all the way back to the beginning. It was also said that Tammuz was killed by a wild beast and then miraculously brought back to life. Baal or Baal was the local Canaanite name for the Babylonian Tammuz. And so this religious deception that goes all the way back to Babel, all the way back to Babylon, has been something that has gone through all of world history. That's why we're in the last book of the Bible talking about the destruction of Babylon and why it's so important for us to understand it. We might say that this Tammuz was the first Christian imposter, or Christ, excuse me, imposter. Or we might say is and was the first Antichrist. It's been said that every false religion today can find its roots in Babylon. Every false religion today could find its roots in Babylon. And I have a, I have a list um, with me. If anybody wants it, I've got a list of 33 different pagan deities that are mentioned in the Bible. Just in the Bible. 33 pagan deities that are mentioned in your Bible. Rampant. Throughout world history. Pagan deities that people will worship. And God in his very design making man to worship something and they will. And that's what we see even in this false religion that is going to go 
headstrong all the way into the tribulation period. In Israel's history, they turned away from the living and the true God. They turned away to worship other gods. And in doing so, the Bible says that they blasphemed God. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, we read that Moses told the children of Israel, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Those nations speaking of all nations outside of Israel, all the pagan practices outside of Israel who worship the one true God. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft or soothsaying, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. Here's Moses warning the children of Israel, these things are there, these things will be there, and you need to separate yourself from these things. For all who do these things, Moses says to the children of Israel, they're an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. By the end of the world, by the end of this time, we know that God is going to judge Babylon. God is going to bring this system of false religions and deities to nothing. In Deuteronomy 31.16, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, Moses, when you pass on. And this people, speaking about the Jews, the Hebrews, they will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land. And they will go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant which I made with them. Nothing's new. We look at the nation of Israel and we see how they turned away from God towards idolatry. But there's a danger for us today, church. Because we can turn away from God. We can serve other gods We can serve other things other than God. We wouldn't call them idolatry. We wouldn't call it idolatry. But in essence, it really is. You see, because idolatry is anything that takes the prominent place in your heart. What sits and should sit at the forefront of your heart is God. God, And when we allow things of this earth, when we allow the things that we set our hearts upon to be the primary thing on our heart it's really idolatry and so when we look at our world today and we say well where are all the idols that keep drawing me in well we can find them in different ways and we need to be careful even as Christians that we do not get drawn away into the systems that are out there that want to draw us in to their way to their mold All the way through history, God warned his people, do not turn to these other gods. Yet they did. And now in verse 3 of our text, we read, So he, an angel, he's speaking of here, an angel carried me away in the spirit. And that's probably in the sense of He carried me like in a trance. I was out. It says he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness or into this desert place where John would witness her fate. He's going to give John now a glimpse into the fate of mystery Babylon. He says, and I saw a woman 
I saw this harlot sitting on a scarlet beast. And that scarlet beast here, I believe, is a reference to the Antichrist. I saw this woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads. Here it is, having seven heads and ten horns. This is the picture that John is seeing of this Antichrist, this beast, this scarlet beast with seven heads and ten horns. We're going to see more about that in the 18th chapter when we get there. The woman, verse 4, was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with, look how she's adorned, with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup that's full of what? Full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman, John says, drunk with the blood of the saints. Now, who are the blood of the saints? The blood of the saints are those that have perished during the tribulation period under the Antichrist and his armies and those that have gone against God's people Israel during this time the blood of the saints I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus and when I saw her John says I marveled with great amazement the first thing John sees is her sitting on this scarlet beast that has these seven heads and ten horns. We can see from this verse that there's going to be a a relationship here between the harlot, which is that religious system that I've been talking about, the religious system that will be in the world at the time, and the scarlet beast, which is the political system under the Antichrist, which is going to be led by the Antichrist. And then this harlot sitting on the beast is not so much her ruling over the beast, but that the beast is in support of her. So think about this, the beast, the political part of it, the political system, working with the religious system, that's there. You see, those two quite often they try to work together because it helps their cause. Supporting her and her religious system. But that will only last for a period of time. That's only going to go for a period of time until the Antichrist is going to turn against her and the religious system. This mother of harlots becomes the spirit of seduction in the culture that's going to exist during the tribulation period. Revelation 14.8, we already read this. It says, and another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. Because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. God is going to judge Babylon. God is going to bring all of that to a final end at the end of the tribulation period. In Revelation chapter 18, looking ahead, we read, And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. This is going to be a wicked, demonic, really, and I believe literal Babylon is going to be of that sort in that day. Again, Holy Spirit removed in the church and this world left to run its course 
with every demonic influence that's in it, Satan having his way in people and in leaders and in kingdoms and nations and the religion that's there. And then in Revelation 18.21 we read, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, and he threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The complete destruction and annihilation of Babylon. We're told that this beast was full of names of blasphemy. And we read in, and we read in Revelation 13:1 when John was standing on the, the seashore at Patmos, if you, were, if you were here and you remember this, it says that I, John saw this beast that was rising up out of the sea. This was the vision as he was on Patmos, looking out into the Mediterranean Sea. And the angel gives him this vision of this beast rising up out of the sea, having, excuse me, seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name, which is, I believe, a reference to the Antichrist and really his blasphemous character. He hates God. He's here to draw as many away and to kill as many of God's people as he can. In um, verses 13, verses 5 and 6 we read, And the Antichrist was given a mouth that could speak great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for how long? 42 months. That's three and a half years. Three and a half year period of time where the Antichrist is going to come out and show his real colors. For those three and a half years, we're told that he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell on the earth. It's springtime. Uh, having a hard time here. But we see this Antichrist (coughs) blasphemy coming forth out of his name against God's name, against God's tabernacle, and against those who dwell in heaven. That's you and I at this point. Those who dwell in heaven blasphemy against them. You see, blasphemy against God can be seen in many ways in Scripture. Where man blasphemes God when they use his name in vain. Man can blaspheme God by coming up against Israel, God's people. They can blaspheme God's people, and they do. Anti-Semitism, people that hate Jews today, they blaspheme God by their hatred of Israel. They blaspheme God when they look at the Bible and they say, that's not the word of God. They reject this to be the truth and God's word. They blaspheme him by saying, I don't believe that. We saw last week, That under the law of Moses, according to Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, that stoning was the penalty, the death penalty for blasphemy. If you blaspheme God, the death penalty in the day under Levitical law was stoning. And then we read in Revelation 16, 21, that God sent great hailstones upon men and men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail since that plague was exceedingly great. 
They continued to blaspheme God because of the pain, because of the greatness of the plague. They blaspheme God. It's a heart that is no longer being drawn by the Holy Spirit. It's a heart now that is bent on complete rejection and blaspheme of God. John sees this woman sitting on a scarlet covered uh, colored beast, which speaks about the splendor of the Antichrist. Uh, people are going to be drawn to him. It's going to look real good on the outside. And even purple and scarlet is a color that's given to rulers and to kings. Remember, it was that scarlet robe that they put on our Lord before he went to the cross. That color purple. It speaks of royalty. And here's this woman sitting on this scarlet colored beast. In verse 4, the woman was arrayed with purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones. And so, again, the whole outward exterior of it all. And John sees this woman clothed in this fine linen, purple and scarlet. And it, and it speaks of the wealth, wealth and the commercialism that's attached to this religion. Do you see that today? Can you see how it could progressively even be worse during the tribulation period? The whole health and wealth thing. The people that are chasing all the religions of the world because it's going to benefit them. It has something to help me, to make me wealthy, healthy, wealthy, and wise, you know. That's the religions, and much of the religions, uh, not much, but a lot of the religions that we see in our world today attached to wealth commercialism and to God it's an abomination you see God hates hypocrisy he always has people uh, acting this way but really being something different that's hypocrisy especially when it's in the church hypocrisy within the church is something that God hates Remember what James wrote concerning religion? What is true religion? James says that it's pure, that pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's what James says is pure and undefiled religion. He brings it down into those two things. Yet we don't see a lot of, quote, the church today doing that. And we won't, this world won't see it during the tribulation period. You see, John sees this cup. It's in the hand of the harlot. It's, it's full of abominations. It's full of the filthiness of her fornication. This false religion during the Tribulation, it, it, it will appear to be good on the outside. It'll look good on the outside. It'll draw people in. But when they get to the cup, the cup is full of poison. The abominations and the filthiness of her fornication will corrupt. It'll defile the whole earth. Jeremiah the prophet prophesied concerning Babylon and the judgments that God would bring against it. In Jeremiah 51.7 it reads, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations are deranged. And then in verse 5 we read, in our text. And on her forehead a name was written. Mystery. But now in verses 7 to 18. John is going to tell us. <clears throat> excuse me. He's going to tell us. In these verses. 
what the mystery is of the harlot. On her forehead, a name was written, Mystery. And John goes on, and it says, Babylon the Great. She is the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. We're told that she's not just one harlot, for the words harlots is plural. But she's the mother of many harlots. Or this religious system that's come upon this world to deceive the world. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled, John says, with great amazement. And so starting even with the blood of the two witnesses that we've already read about in chapter 11. Remember the two witnesses that God is going to seal and he's going to send out to be witnesses for him? They're going to be killed during the tribulation period. And so starting with the blood of the two witnesses who are going to be killed for their testimony... And then all the saints who refuse to take the mark of the beast. And there will be many. John says it's a multitude of which no man could number. They're going to be killed, many of them. There will be some that will survive the tribulation period. But many will be killed. According to Revelation 13, 15. John Wolvert again wrote. False religion is always the worst enemy of true religion. And that's so true. The false religions of this world, they even hate what you stand for as a Christian. Why? Because you're by, being led by the God of this, the God of heaven, and by the word of God, the truth of his word. And they hate that. The saying of ISIS in Iraq to Christians today is convert, pay, or die. All in the name of Islam. Convert, pay, or die. That's the religion. That's what many of them stand. Not all. Not all of Islam, but many. And then we'll close in verse 7. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And so we're going to close on that. And if you want to know more about the mystery of the woman and the beast, then you've got to come back next week. Because we're going to continue on in this chapter and he's going to get into more detail of the mystery of this woman. So, again, these are portions of, of scripture that are important for us to know. Important for us to be able to understand and have a stance ourselves, a conviction ourselves of what we believe as Christians. Not just because Greg said so, but what does your Bible say? What are you reading when you read your Bible and you read the book of Revelation? What is it saying to you? And I want nothing more than for us to have a stance on what we believe according to the word of God. And so that's why we're going through this in the way we are so that you have an understanding of the things to come. And so um, let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you uh, for the word of God, Lord, that has given us the beginning and has given us the end. And Lord, you've given us everything for life and godliness in between. You've told us everything that we need to live 
lives that are glorifying to you. You've given us the power of your Holy Spirit and everything that we need to live for you. And Lord, may we live for you in these last days. May we be watching and ready for your return. And may we be busy about the business that we're called to do, to go out and to be witnesses for you, to seek to convey the gospel to those who don't know. And Lord, would you give us open doors, opportunities to be able to do that, even this week, even as we get up tomorrow morning. Lord, would you use us to be a mouthpiece for you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.